Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Kenneth Matos from Culture Amp. Kenneth, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing real well. Thank you for joining me from Manhattan. How are things there in New York uh, here in mid to late April? A bit surreal. It's definitely an interesting experience. The, for some people, it's very intense and visceral. For others, it feels like nothing's going on. It's really hard to sort of keep your head screwed on straight. But I think everybody's trying to muscle their way through. Yeah, and thank you for you know showing up that way. And we talked a little bit before we, we started today. And there's uh, so many people trying to put up a, a good face as well they should. But yet, you know, it is tough, right? And it's something that we're dealing with as humans, not natural. And this is something that we're going to talk about today is, you know, as an organizational leader, someone who is responsible for culture, uh, you know, what is the appropriate response? And again, as we talked about, the response is going to be different and different organizations. So with that staging, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit, your role there at Coltramp? Absolutely. So I'm a director of people science, and I focus on working with all of our customers, thinking about how they design their surveys, what are they asking, what do they need to know, working with them after they collect data to think about what is it really telling them, how do they talk to other people about it so that they can persuade them to take action, to really dig into things that, as we all know with culture, there's often a lot that we don't want to address too closely, but really drives a lot of what we're experiencing. So thinking about those communications, how do we make them palatable and then push people to actually do a lot of the changes that make things better. And so I lead our team that does that. And it's no small task. I can only imagine, particularly given Culture Amp's growth over the years. So let's jump right in to a couple of topics that are top of mind, I know, for you and I think for the broader industry, not only in people analytics, but in HR and, frankly, executives and just trying to keep the wheels on the bus at this time, yeah. is you were saying that people analytics, this ability to study and understand the workforce is a priority right now and that it should not be you know, relegated. It should be elevated. Can you speak to that and why you believe that to be true? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I really believe passionately is if you already know the answer to a question, why are you asking it? And when you need to ask questions is when you don't know what's going on. And I think the reality right now is we don't know a lot of what's going on. We've asked our employees to either work from home or to work at a job that suddenly has become dangerous. I think that is a complete transformation of the employee value proposition, about how you think about your work, how you think about the impact of your work, and really understanding what's happening on the ground. Are the policies we're putting in working? Are people experiencing them in a way that allows them to see the company as participating with them and getting stuff done or using them to get stuff done, I think mm. is going to be really important both now and going into the future. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I also, again, see some organizations adding questions as opposed to replacing questions on their survey, which, you know, again, no judgment behind this. Mm. However, you know, if we're asking the same questions to your point that are not really appropriate for the time, do you sense that that could either be a disengager or a distraction? 
Yeah, I think it's really important to mirror what's going on. The most important usage of surveys and people analytics is to find answers to things we need to do right now. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important that the surveys that we send out and the questions we're asking people really resonate with the things they're trying to solve. On a day-to-day basis, engagement is something that you know people are really thinking about. In a moment like this, you're thinking about safety, to ask questions about how you put in the policies that are going to keep people safe. They're thinking about how do I talk to my employees now that I can't just walk over to their desk? Explore those issues because that's going to give you information that's going to really help people improve the way they're working and not just check a bunch of boxes on a screen. So if you're going to ask questions that are relevant to this time, that means that you have to have some level of empathy, some level of understanding of what they're likely going through. Because correct me wrong, the questions in and of themselves matter. So speak to, if you would, the alignment that needs to be in place between the values that the organization put forth, leader communication, and the survey design that has to be undertaken by someone with your background that could be inside the organization or maybe done in partnership with you all. Absolutely. So what we often do when we're partnering with clients to think about what questions they should ask, a lot of it begins with what are you ready and able to either communicate about or take action on? Surveys are kind of an agreement with employees. If you answer these questions, we're going to do something different. And so I think one of the first things is not to dig into something that you can't affect. So for example, we have a number of clients who are asking questions about mental health and they really want to dig into how are people feeling and really how much control do you have over that? Can you really do something with that information or are you having them sort of pour their hearts out and just sort of leaving them with that? So we like to really focus on policies that you can change. So for example, how are you doing work from home? Do they have to do scheduled hours or can they have more flexibility? Understanding how that's working for them. For those people who are still coming to work, asking if they've been provided the appropriate safety opportunities, how communications are getting through. I think one of the most useful things to both leaders and employees is really looking into the effectiveness of your communications. I think for a lot of our companies, they had time to learn things by osmosis. So there would be an official message. A few people would hear it. And then it would get out slowly. Now they really need to make sure everybody knows what's happening like every day. And so survey questions that get allow them to see which departments are not hearing messages can also be really valuable to find those gaps in their communication protocols. Yeah, I've seen organizations over the years struggle with landing on appropriate language. And it's been the case where you have a large enterprise, you have a bunch of different job families, you have diverse employees. Yeah, coming up with the right or the perfect question wording, it has been tough. Can you speak to the process that you undertake to actually come to a decision? You know, is it a focus group with employees? Is it a focus group with leaders? Is it a combination of the two? Or is it someone with expertise saying, you know, this is the best way? I think it really depends on what are the questions that you're asking. So the more time you have to both collect the information and reuse it, I think that's when a a focus group or a conversation with a few employees can really be helpful because you're building something that's going to last and you're going to use repeatedly for years. For a situation like right now, a lot of these surveys are going to be done maybe a a dozen times, hopefully, over the course of the next couple months. 
and then those questions won't be quite so valid anymore. So speed becomes more important and the willingness to iterate and hear from people, did that resonate, did that not resonate? Look at the comments, are people questioning the way an item is written? And I think it also goes back to the basis of what kind of relationship have you built with your employees? If it's a strong one, then you have room for more learning opportunity. If it's you know, a weaker one, then you might want to start with a much safer set of questions, talk to an expert. These are pretty standard, clear items, and then adapt those as you get a better understanding of how people are interpreting the items. Got it. And I know this is going to be come across as self serving towards you, but it is a actually real question that comes up. And I know you have a position on it. Is this, if an organization is designing questions on their own, there's a temptation to go to buzzwords. There can be a cognitive dissonance where at the end of the day, you don't know the appropriate action because it's not focused enough. So speak to the value of engaging an expert to formulate these questions. Absolutely. So there's a couple of things that people do with questions that sort of throws them off. For example, they try to ask a single question that covers 10 different things. And then when they get the results, they don't know how to interpret them. What was the person responding to? Sometimes there's turns of phrase that someone really likes at a leadership level, but no one else understands. They're not used at any other level in the organization. Mm -hmm. And so being able to flag those kinds of moments where you're, again, not going to be able to understand what you're getting. Also, some of the politics that play into it. One of my favorite places is where people ask questions about leaders. And usually early on, before they've done a survey, they're really comfortable with something that's kind of vague diffusion of responsibility kicks in, you feel comfortable being like, yeah, yeah, we all will be responsible for this. When the score comes in and it's not high, suddenly there's a lot of like, well, we didn't know what leaders you meant. Could you have meant these leaders, those leaders? Therefore, this question isn't valid. And so I think having an expert who can also warn you about not just this is the right wording, because I think that that just takes it down a really academic, stuffy line, but really this is how it's going to play out in your company Mm -hmm. once you all start using this data to make decisions and explain why you're doing what you're doing. That's where an expert can be really helpful because they've seen how it's played out in a lot of different situations. And I really like what you're saying for a variety of reasons. Among them, the action that happens you know, at the end. Because again, you know, we talked uh, before about this, the idea of having a referent when you're answering so you know what action to take. Because you, like many in our discipline and doing survey research, survey design, are very attentive to the fact that there are different dimensions at the end of the day. There's individual change, there's organizational change, there's group change. Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah. Building off the previous conversation about buzzwords, I think one word that is really powerful and important right now is resilience. But I think sometimes people confuse individual resilience and organizational resilience. And one of the big things that, you know, if we really want to have good cultures, we need to think about what makes the company bounce back from things really well and what Mm -hmm. helps our individual people bounce back from things really well. And are we making sure that we're not giving individuals responsibility for things that an organization has to make policy decisions on? A lot of times we can end up saying, okay, there's just a lot of work that has to be done. Employees, how can we make you more resilient so you can do a longer day without ever having the conversation of what amongst these things we're giving you really doesn't serve any purpose and should be 
deleted to make time for the things that are really important. And how do we make sure that you're resilient enough to do those rather than those plus all the busy work? Yeah, I think it's a critical distinction, and I agree that that distinction often is not met. Now, let's say you do a survey, you understand that people are stressed right now, which is probably the case for most organizations. There's a great deal of uncertainty about their jobs, about the state of the economy, and all these things. What are you seeing as some of the initiatives organizations are putting in place to address this anxiety, this new work-at-home life where they're juggling all these different activities between families? and work? Absolutely. I think there's a a bunch of different things depending on what part of the transition is most painful. Mm -hmm. So I think for the work for home employees, one of the most important things that they need is clarity and proactiveness. So ironically, even though everyone's always thought of work from home as being fuzzier, it requires a much higher discipline level in terms of planning. What are your metrics for incremental progress? Helping map conversations with managers about just how do I gauge the progress on a project over the course of its lifespan without being able to just sit next to the person and watch what they're doing. I think that is a powerful conversation that some of our clients are having. I think efforts to create social connection in virtual ways is also really important, as well as giving people permission to not tune in when they're tired. Um, I think we sometimes can overdo our desire to help people. And so we put virtual cooking classes, virtual happy hours, virtual lunch hours. And then they're just like, I'm exhausted from connecting to all of you. Can I connect to my family for a few hours? (laughs) And so really helping people recognize that these are options, not requirements. I think has also been a really powerful approach to balancing those things. Yeah, because there's uh, several people who jumped to mind as I share this, is that you know, the concept of resilience, there can be a cynical view where I am encouraging you to be more resilient as an individual so I can have you do as much on our behalf you know, as, as possible. Mm-hmm. And there is a potentially a gross lack of empathy if there's an element of truth in that. So balancing the humanity with the resilience, focus, tenacity. So where I want to pop this up as a question is, what data do you see we as analysts looking at to paint that broader experience of the employee right here, right now with remote work? Because you know, we're talked largely about survey data at this point, which is obviously capturing their perceptions and thoughts and ideas, feelings, but the actual activity of how much spending their time in front of screens and, and so forth. So what are some of the metrics data that you think would help tell the story and in turn guide appropriate action to help the workforce? I think the first thing we need to think about when we're having this conversation is, did we need it before we went to remote work? And why did we if we didn't? I think this is, as an analyst, one of my greatest pet peeves is when people say, I want to see the return on investment on X. I was like, well, you've never recorded it before. Why do you want it now? (laughs) Right, Um, good point. And so for those people who are like, oh, we had an easy way of collecting it before. Now it's just harder because we're not here. We're using different computers. I think those are the easy scenarios where it's like, We need to track hours because we bill by the hour. Or we want to be able to break jobs down into particular touch points. So you could, for example, track what are the touch points that the employee has with a client or a customer to see that they're 
Is it a proper flow of events occurring? Is there a difference between people who are having three touch points versus two touch points? I think one of the other things that'd be really powerful is looking at some of the text that gets exchanged. If you can be able to see the depth and content or the sentiments that are being exchanged between employees and customers or clients. I think it also takes us back to that point about really breaking down a job into pieces. I think we as HR and leaders can sometimes get a little bit sloppy about job descriptions and really understanding what goes into what our employees do. I think this is a great time to go back and really evaluate what have we tasked you with? How important is it? Checking to see who spends time on different tasks or is assigned different things in the process and being able to check and see, like, are they having a real impact on the dollars earned? Is this task, when it's done well, making a difference? Or is it just a thing that we sort of do because it's become part of our habit? I think those things would help clear up a lot of what people are talking about or wondering about now. Yeah, I yeah, love it. And if I'm listening to you as a CHRO, head of talent, you know, someone who's in the organization, I might think, well, that all makes perfect sense. I don't have that. I don't even know how to get it. What would you say to those? What's lacking in many organizations to provide a systematic view of what's going on with their employees and in turn having a kind of very high resolution picture of what the appropriate response should be? I think the biggest challenge we have is one of priority. The thing that makes a lot of this hard is we have very few tools that capture most of these metrics in the flow of work. There's Mm -hmm. some jobs that have had this built in, but many others don't. And so in order to get a lot of the data that we really want, we still need to ask the employee to stop doing the job and click some buttons or report here that you've done the thing. And that's time that they could otherwise be doing the thing that we want. And so I think if I were to give a CHRO any piece of advice, the first thing is what can you drop that you know doesn't matter so you can put people's time towards capturing the information you need to prove that these things are valuable. I have this concept I talk about, which is the in and out paradox. When leaders are in on something, They don't want data to prove that it's worthwhile. They just believe it is. They put their authority on it, and it just happens. When that leader changes and that person is out, they start asking for all these things you needed to collect months ago when the previous leader was in. And so I think that keeps coming from what I just described, the inability to prioritize the actual data collection. I love it. I used to say, okay, who ever wrote the business case for market research? It's like leaders deemed it a necessary thing to do to guide their marketing strategy. Now, why don't we view the workforce similarly? You know, it is the right thing to do. Let's go investigate what's going on. So certainly appreciate what you're saying there. Embedded in what you're offering up is the fact that data and analytics are integral to a talent strategy or culture, approach to culture. Historically, it's been like, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this, and then we're going to measure it. (laughs) And oftentimes, the appropriate data was not generated. Therefore, it's almost 
impossible to get. So the point in question here is, what do you think about the governance models that are uh, evolving? They were evolving arguably before the crisis, but this crisis, in many cases, at least I have seen these task forces spun up and people analytics has kind of been elevated all of a sudden. And I'm just interested in your thoughts. Do you see that persisting? Is this a an opportunity that if we drop the ball, we're going to drop the ball? What's your thoughts and perspectives? What are you seeing happening right now? I'm seeing a lot of old approaches unfreeze. I think because people don't know. Everyone's looking for something to couch their decisions on. Basically, how do I justify to my boss if this goes wrong that I made the decision based on the best information out there? And so this is a real opportunity for analytics to get into the forefront. I think we need to be a lot less rigid and work with the best information that we have and say, given what we do have, this is my best suggestion. If we had X, we could give you more. And always make sure we say both so that it doesn't become, well, you answered our questions now, we can forget about you again. Or, oh, you're just so rigid and you didn't have the info, so you just couldn't tell me anything. And I think that's the importance of being able to combine both really solid and deep analytics with expertise of how things have played out in the past to be able to make some leaps of inference. Yeah, I like it because... Again, when we discuss things, obviously, I'm coming from my frame of reference, my structure of interpretation, my set of experiences. And one of these has been the fact that, you know, how do leaders make decisions based on what? And primarily, it's their set of experiences. And many times, their set of experiences does not inform the best approach for here today. So therein lies the need to learn. In some cases, whether it be an individual or a governing body, they might not know what questions to ask. They might not know what questions are are possible. So if that is a reality that our listeners will acknowledge that we can agree on, what is the value? And again, this is going to seem self-serving, but engaging someone such as yourself, who is an expert at this, who understands what's possible with the data and what's lacking that could be created to help tell a better story. So again, why partner with somebody as opposed to try and do it internally? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I'm most proud of that CultureAmp's people science team offers to its customers is the opportunity to think through what's important to them. Well, we have templates and you can do things off the shelf. We don't think that's always the necessarily best use of us when you can have the opportunity to say, what can I imagine that's going to take me to the next step? And we spend a lot of time sort of organizing our clients' thoughts and contextual knowledge to be able to go from, I wish I could say X to, this is the data you need to collect in order to justify that statement. I really love saying like, at the beginning of a meeting, what are the headlines that you want to walk into your CEO's office and deliver? Once we have that, we can work our way backwards to, these are the questions we need to ask that would allow you to justify that in your particular context. And correct me if I'm wrong, those questions and thus the underlying data are dynamic. They're not the same questions all the time. Some might be repeated, but others might be, in this case, be focused on what the reality of the external market is and the internal dynamics and so forth. Is that right? Yeah. 
the best survey program is one that is responsive to what are your needs. And so, again, as I said, we have templates, but you're not forced to use them. And so you can really adapt to what's happening. So, you know, for a company that's really focused on, we want to see how we evolve over time. We're using this as a benchmark for ourselves to be able to show growth. Then you really want to ask very similar, if not the same questions every time. Otherwise, you can't do a comparison. But if what you're really doing is saying stuff is changing, we want to know how to respond to that, you might ask a completely different set of questions. And so often a lot of our clients will alternate between a standard engagement survey and a series of much more focused pulses to explore things like a new DNI program or a change to work from home rules or alterations to their benefits. And again, I want to go a little bit deeper and I know we don't have much time left, but something that I've seen lacking, particularly in companies that have struggled historically in standing up and sustaining a people analytics capability, and it's clear distinction between those organizations that have, is obviously an executive commitment, but there is a level of lack of a better term governance involved because in the narrative that you just put forth, Facilities could be involved. It could be operations. It could be you know, mm-hmm. you know, finance, IT, you know, on down the line. So can you speak to in the companies that you work with, the organizations that are actually creating change downstream, what's some of the secret sauce that you're seeing? And I, I put forth the idea of governance, but you know, whatever you're saying, I'm interested in hearing. Yeah, I think the secret sauce where I'm really seeing change is cultures that are very open to the idea of change. They're iterative in their process and they're very averse to finger pointing for lack of a better term. The ones where I see that they get stuck, there's a lot of whose responsibility is this. They're really past looking and trying to either punish or reward. And the ones that are making real progress are the ones who are saying, yeah, yeah, we did all that stuff. We know it what are we going to do tomorrow and how are we going to make that better than it was yesterday? Mm -hmm. Those are the ones who hear what's happening. They make changes and they respond differently. I'm thinking of clients who walked into our office and said, I have a theory that, no, this is my problem. We did the work and we're like, no, that's not the theory. It's actually this other thing. It's a thing that you really don't want to talk about. And they go, Oh, that actually is what I needed to be able to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Now I have some way of showing that it's not the myth that we tell ourselves, but this really hard thing we have to confront. That's really the secret sauce. Because I think analytics is an assessment. It tells us what's working and what's not and gives us some suggestions on what we should do. But actual change takes the courage to do something different. Yeah, again, just to dig in that a little bit, what I'm hearing is growth mindset. What I'm hearing is conversations and the idea that at the end of the day, particularly in this time, we need to acknowledge risk, manage risk, and that is going to be rooted in this willingness and ability to learn, have authentic conversations. Is that how you would frame it as well? Absolutely. Nothing gets a team stuck more than the fear that by offering an alternative perspective, you'll either be a traitor or stupid. And the most important thing is being able to really understand that the psychological safety to be able to offer an alternative perspective and know that even if it's not followed, it doesn't brand you as problematic or blocking somebody else's agenda. That's really the key. I think one of the things that I've seen work really well is when presented with an understanding of what's happening 
the client, everyone in the room suddenly goes, ah, now we're free from fighting with each other. Now we can just change it. And so that's been the key to a lot of the success stories. And there's various ways to build that kind of trust. And you, know, you just said there, yeah, it's a high trust environment. It's a safe place to really learn and explore. It's not just the leader sitting at the end of the table and saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is my way. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Asking for feedback, listening to what it is. I think being comfortable with saying, I've heard what you said, and I'm going to do it for these reasons, or I'm not going to do it for these reasons. That creates a feedback loop where somebody can in turn say, oh, knowing that that's the blocker, here's what I would suggest instead. We're like, that's perfect. Let's just do that second choice rather than the first thing that wasn't going to work. Yeah, again, I super enjoy talking to you. I can talk to you all day. I'm going to leave you with one question and then I'll ask you to share how people can get in touch with you and learn more about CultureAmp. It's this, is where do you see people analytics in you know, three to six months time? So not a very long horizon, but this is a time frame where action can take place because I'm talking to organizations and leaders within those organizations uh, that by and large have done good things. Yet mm-hmm. we know from research that we've done with Insight 222 and others that not many organizations are there. And you know, there's been a, a lack of a commitment to truly invest in terms of people, process, technology, and, and so forth. So if I'm listening to you, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I want all of that, yet I don't have it. So you know, where do you hope the discipline is, you know, again, you know, six months you know, out from where, you know, relative to where we are now? Six months out from now, I really hope the discipline has identified those key metrics that organizations need to weather the storm. And really built, if not the answers work they need to be able to get that information and do it quickly so that it's not analytics is either this big thing that's happening in a corner, but it's really, this is our conversation with ourselves, looking at our organization in the mirror and understanding how it plays out across all these various domains and allowing us to not do all this stuff by gut and really be able to like base it in something and then evaluate whether or not those ideas worked. I think that's the other big piece is really thinking about how are we going to see if what we're doing is effective so that we either can continue doing it, adapt it, or stop doing it so that we can keep getting better rather than being more concerned about making sure that nobody looks like they've made a mistake. Yeah, no, I love it. And I love to just emphasize that you're talking about asking the right questions in the first place, understanding what data and analytics will help answer those questions. And it's not how are we doing on that you know, HR implementation here and there. It's really you know, more a curious growth mindset type approach. So you know, thanks for sharing. Thanks for being who you are. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about Coltramp? Absolutely. So they can get in touch with Coltramp via our website, coltramp.com. And they can easily look me up on LinkedIn at Dr. Ken Matos. All right. Ken, thanks for being here and look forward to seeing you in person before too long. Be well there in Manhattan. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.